Some weeks ago, I went to uh, my chiropractor, and after being adjusted, I was asked if I wanted some sports gel on my back. I consented gladly, smelled good, felt good. When I got home, I wondered, what was that stuff? And so you do what you do these days, right? I Googled it, and uh, I found out that what it really was was a counter irritant. You know what a counter irritant is? Here's how counter irritants work. Counter irritants cause irritation or mild inflammation to the skin for the purpose of relieving pain in muscles and joints near the site of application. They differ from anesthetics. You can tell this isn't my definition. They differ from anesthetics in that they produce results by stimulation rather than by depression. Anesthetics depress, counter-irritants stimulate. In other words, they provide relief from pain by stimulating other sensory receptors. That's an interesting concept to me. Treat pain by introducing a different kind of stimulus. I want to say some things today, but on the way in, I have a little bit of a fear, and, and I need to, I guess, add a disclaimer to the front of what I want to say. I don't want folks to hear me say that we should ignore our pain. Pain, mental or physical, is a sign that something is wrong. We should try to figure out what it is and do something about it. So for all of you who say, you know, I don't need to go to a doctor, go to the doctor, okay? It could be strep throat, right, Tim? It could be strep throat. And so, um, you know, don't ignore pain, okay? You having this chest pain? Go to the doctor. Find out, you know, what that is. But there are times when pain needs to be placed in context. And this is especially true when our pain is based in our expectations, especially if those expectations are not balanced or practical or realistic. And then there are other times when pain needs to be understand, understood in terms of what it is producing in us. I mean, you've heard the saying, no pain, no gain, right? If every time you had a twinge of pain, you stopped exercising, you would gain nothing, right? So pain has to be placed in some sort of context to be understood. And here's what James has to say about it. This is James 1, verse 2. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up and the rich in being brought low because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers its field. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes in the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they, like all of us, will wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. You caught that, right, you? He himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If you listen carefully to what James is saying, he is addressing people who are enduring trials, facing temptations, and wrestling with poverty. That's, that's what he's about here. No one wants to endure trials, right? I mean, we don't sit around saying, boy, you know, if I could only endure a few more trials. I mean, no one wants to face temptation. We pray, right? Lord, deliver us from temptation. We don't want to face temptation. No one wants to wrestle with poverty. But James tells us that each of these potentially has a role to play in our development. Trials, he says, has the effect, they have the effect of creating endurance. And endurance is something that we need if we're going to become mature Christians. Christians who can stand in the face of difficult days are vitally important to the church and to its fellowship. I mean, unless there are people in the fellowship who have lived through pain, who have trusted God to bring them through trials, we won't have any mature perspective to help us how to live as Christians in a harsh world, which is the only world we've been given in which to live. Who will, who will help us? Who will give us guidance? Without mature Christians to guide us, our prayers tend up to only ever amount to God take away this pain, God take away this pain, God take away this pain. And that's not necessarily the most mature prayer we could offer in the midst of pain. I'm not saying we shouldn't ask for release from pain. I'm not, I am saying that we need a broader perspective, a richer understanding of what this might be. Because we know in this world, we will have trials. We will have temptations. And that Christians are not exempt from these things. If we allow ourselves to believe that all pain is evil, 
and that no good can come from pain, then we have a distorted worldview, a view that is focused on avoiding all pain at whatever cost. And I think it might be a little wimpy, I think. James also tells us to endure temptation. It isn't God who's tempting us, he tells us. We leave ourselves vulnerable to temptations because of our own desires. There's an enemy who knows our weaknesses and picks and plucks at any crevice or crack he can find in us. And we're lured, lured away. And I think at times, in addition to what's in us, we have, we have told ourselves things that aren't true. And then we have to live with the consequences of these self-deceiving lies. I mean, I think you understand there are, there are narrative tapes that play in our heads that tell us things about ourselves and that we start to repeat and rehearse and, and they actually can become true for us. And some of those things are, are narratives that say things like, I deserve better, or I could only be happy if fill in the blank, or, or no one cares if I cheat a little, or, or everyone's doing it, it must be fine, or, or it really doesn't matter if I take this shortcut, or, and, and to convince ourselves that that's true, since we all know better anyway, but to convince ourselves that's true, we just keep telling ourselves that. That's the self-deceptive part of our hearts, because we want to be right, and so to convince ourselves, all right, we just rehearse our self-deceiving lies to ourselves and try to make them true. But these kinds of lies only set us up for disappointment and pain and anxiety. When we set up false expectations for ourselves, we can never be happy in this world especially if we think others are doing better than us. Which is like the natural outcome of looking at anything on social media, right? If you look at social media, everybody's doing better than you. Because nobody posts a picture of themselves of what their hair really looks like in the morning. Am I right? I mean, you don't see the full picture of anyone. We only post the pictures that we think show us in the best possible light at our best possible moment. And it's depressing to think that everybody else in the world has it together and I'm here wallowing in all my mess and I can't figure out how to get two shoes on that match in the morning. Self-deceiving lies. The truth about temptation is this. When we give into temptation, that creates a type of gravity that pulls us towards increasing deceit and sinning. And it has the potential, James is telling us, it has the potential to lead us in a snowballing ever-increasing pattern that leads to spiritual death. We can't afford to give in to temptation. 
We have to endure temptation in order to stay on the pathway that leads to life. One particular temptation James addresses is the temptation to envy the rich. James says, forget about that. Wealth doesn't provide longevity. Our lifespans are all short. Security is found elsewhere in the promises of God, in the person of God, in the character of God, in the presence of God. That's security. It will never be in wealth. And if, and if you're having trouble seeing any of these things, if you're having trouble figuring out how to cope with pain of any different variety, if you're having trouble figuring out how to stand in the face of temptation, if you're continuously jealous and envy of others who have more or better or different than you, then James has a very, very simple solution. It's very simple. He says, ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Why? What, what do we expect God to do? Well, perhaps he'll give you the insight and perspective to understand where you are or to mark a path out of where you are or to fill you with his presence in a way that you see things differently and to provide assistance along the way in who knows what fashion in terms of perhaps companionship or wisdom of other Christians or fellowship or resources. We don't know. We, we affirm we believe that the resources of our Father are unlimited, right? We believe that he can do all that he wants to do and does do all that he wants to do. He accomplishes his will perfectly. So if we have a need and he promises to grant and fulfill that need, he promises to give wisdom to those who ask of him, then we don't know how he'll grant that wisdom. We don't know what shape that wisdom will take, but we have every confidence that he will in fact provide it whatever form it is and for some for some of us who are in pain it may be he provides the right prescription or he may provide the insight or the right doctor or or he may provide the right counselor or or we don't know what he'll do he might provide the right friend to help us understand that this is temporary and it's going to get better just do your exercises and that knee is going to feel better, Mark. It's going to be okay. We don't know how we will answer, but we have every, con every confidence that he will answer. You know, there are people who are facing trials and groanings. There are people who are giving into temptation and slowly dying. There are people who cannot have joy because they are poor. And many of these folks just don't understand how to interpret what's happening to them. And so God says, so God through James says, ask God for wisdom. But what I think is interesting, especially this time of year, is that scripture also provides us with a counter irritant. Not only do we ask the Father 
for wisdom to understand, for resources for resolution, to provide what we need and trust him to provide all of that, he through his word provides us with the counter irritant. When you listen to the words of the angels, it is clear that Jesus comes to replace the darkness of this world with his light, to address the fear of the shepherds as they face these citizens of heaven and don't understand what they are seeing, to demonstrate that poverty is not the last word of our human existence. I mean, you, you heard the, the words of Luke 2. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. The angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news which will be great joy for all the people. And you know what was promised, the baby Jesus. These guys are poor, alone, terrified, and the angel says, don't be afraid, there's nothing here to fear. Good news is here and it is joyous. A savior is born. If the measure of your life is what you don't have, you will always be depressed. If you feel that any trial you endure is a curse, you will never experience joy on a difficult day. But if the measure of your life is that a child, a savior has been given to you, you will feel differently. On difficult days, you can remember who you are and to whom you belong. And if you remember that you are being held in the hands of a mighty God, if you remember that you are a child of the king, if you remember that these light and momentary trials are obtaining for you an eternal weight of glory, that he is active in your life, you can start to feel differently about your trials. Not that you have to enjoy your trials, but you can begin to understand them. You begin to learn to live with them. You look for ways for God to transform them into opportunities to serve and glorify him rather than only looking for ways to escape them. I think it's this this line of reasoning is why Paul says to us in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Express your joy. Demonstrate that you understand that God is at work. Assert your confidence that God will bring good things out of your situation. Start to look for what God is doing be grateful for the good things that you discover even in the face of your trials and difficulties. I guess what I'm asking you to do is to, to rub in a little bit of joy. Practice being joyful because joy is the gold standard of counter-irritants. If you will allow your knowledge of God and your relationship of God to become the stimulant 
to provide joy, if you will consciously choose joy based on his promises, based on his word, based on the experience that you have with him, based on the testimony of mature Christians around you who have faced difficult times, when we rejoice, things begin to change. And if you can't figure out a way to do this, if you can't find a way to do this, if you can't see anything good in your life to be joyful about, that's when you hearken back to James's advice and you ask the Lord to provide you wisdom. Because he will show you. He, he will show you what he's done and who he is and how much he loves you. He will remind you again what his coming to earth really means. It means joy to the world. It means humanity is favored by God, that he desires peace for us and health for us and wholeness for us. And when he shows you that, when he gives you that insight, when he helps you renew and restore your joy, be careful to give him thanks, to worship him and rejoice. I thought this morning that I would play the piano while we sang Joy to the World. I'm thinking that better because playing the piano brings me no joy. Uh, but I'm going to ask us to put the lyrics on the screen. As you can see, we have a little bit of sickness in our worship team today. And we're just going to sing this together. But please, please, do not sing this in your indoor voice. Okay? We need to sing this with gusto and resolve and confidence because of our joy on who our God is. Would you stand with me? And let's sing this as we close this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. Amen. It's my prayer that the joy of the Lord would be yours this season. May the light of Christ shine on your faces. And may the joy of Christ fill your hearts to overflowing to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.